Well, hey, what's up, everybody? How you guys doing? Good to see you. Yeah. Awesome. Welcome for everybody who's joining us online as well. This weekend is a great weekend. Um, and then before Mac and I dig into this, well, I'm so excited about this. We've been working on this for a few weeks together. Just want to give you an update of what's happened with me and my family this summer. Um, every five years in our handbook, uh, all the staff get a sabbatical. Uh, I've been here I'm going on six years, uh, and it's been the easiest six years ever. I mean, a scandal, a pandemic, a Nothing hurricane, um, radical growth. It's just yeah. been so awesome. Anyway, um, and so um, we are taking, we're getting sabbatical the month of July, and then we're actually going to take a few additional weeks in June um, just to re refresh, to recuperate, to recharge, to get away together, um, spend some time with God. Um, I am speaking, I, I have to fulfill a couple of commitments as well. And so um, I'm only gonna be with you for the next couple of weeks in person uh, here on the weekends. Um, but I'm so excited about what we have planned for the summer. In fact, I'm gonna miss like the best summer ever because um, we're doing something new in the, the month of June. We might do it every summer, I don't know. But we're gonna do a series starting next week. I'm gonna kick off called Book Club. And what that is, is each week we're going to talk and, and teach through a specific book, our teaching team. And it's a book that has massively shaped our relationship with God, our life, and it's really impacted us. And we'll be selling uh, several copies of each book every week. Uh, and one of the weeks, in fact, in two weeks, we have the author of the book who's preaching it is going to come preach his book. And so we want to add at least one of the authors. And so somebody who is kind of a spiritual advisor to, to both us, our church, and uh, has massively helped us make a, a difference in the hurricane. And so Pastor Rob's going to be here in a couple of weeks. That'll be awesome. So that's the month of June. So you're going to hear kind of from us, like the, the books that have really shaped our lives. And then in July, as we do every July, we are going to do at the movies. Um, I'm just telling you, it is going to be the best at the movies we've ever done. We just got off a plane a couple hours ago, uh, filming some stuff ahead of time um, in, for it. And uh, we, we may have outdone ourselves. We may have found the ceiling. Um, and so epic uh, is a good word. Epic is, yeah, it's <laughs> truly epic. So, um, so book club in June, we got Matt the movies in July. It's going to be fantastic. And we've made it such a, 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 an event. So we want you to bring uh, your family, invite friends, coworkers. These will be really great uh, opportunities to invite people to, to church, bring that one with you. And so that's what's coming this summer. Just wanted you guys to know that. Um, but this week is not only Memorial weekend, which we absolutely always honor and, and remember those who have given their lives for our freedom, uh, but it's also Pentecost week which is the perfect kind of ending to our Thriving in Babylon series. If, if you haven't been with us, Thriving in Babylon is essentially, we've been looking at Daniel for four weeks. The, the, the essence is in a culture that doesn't really value God at all, how can we stay true to God and influence other people towards God? And so we've looked at the lives of them um, in Daniel and, and, and his three friends. Um, but today we're going to look at Pentecost because it's literally the how, it's the juice behind um, kind of living this life. Last week, we posed the challenge, the Seek the Peace initiative, which by the way, I'm blown away. You guys are amazing. Stories all over the city. It's all over social media. In fact, uh, Friday, there was not a shopping cart to be found in a parking lot. Like we did it for one day. We really did. Like I had somebody went to like 10 different places like pastor. We did not find one shopping cart. So you did it. Um, and so for us though, how do we live that life? Not when we just have like a checklist and a social media post. But how do we make that a regular part of our living? Well, Pentecost is that answer. And so um, why? So we're going to talk about what is Pentecost? Why does it matter? Um, you can hear my voice. I'm not feeling the greatest, so I'm keeping my distance from you to, to protect you. I don't care about him that much. Um, <laughs> he'll be fine. He prays. Um, but, uh, but we're going to talk about Pentecost and um, why does it matter? And so um, some of you may not know what Pentecost is. That's fine. Some of you might know it from the book of Acts, which is really just a small part of it. Um, but we're going to talk about what is it, why does it matter, and then how does it apply to us today? And, 
And when you start to connect the dots, it's massively fascinating. So whether you've never heard this or you know you've heard about it your whole life, I have a feeling we're all gonna leave pretty inspired and maybe even empowered to go. And so um, let me just give you the there and then. Somebody say there and then. When we know there and then, we can know here and now. There and then of Pentecost. Pentecost actually goes back 1,500 years before Jesus, all the way back to Passover, the Israelites, Moses, and, and when God showed up on the mountain and spoke to Moses and gave him the Torah and gave him the Ten Commandments. It was celebrated annually for, and revered for 1,500 years with the Jews and Judaism. Um, it was, uh, Pentecost was full on display uh, through the life of Jesus. In fact, everything in the Bible points to Jesus. And so we see it in Jesus. And then Pentecost was also the catalyst and the inception um, for the early church. It was the birth of, of what we are doing now. Um, it's also the how, if we're gonna go thrive in Babylon when we walk out of these doors and not just survive. And so, so real quick, I'm gonna just give you some history. Uh, you can take notes if you want. There won't, be, there won't be much of a test afterwards. So some of this is a little quiz, not a big test. Um, but what is Pentecost? Let me just give you the basic. First of all, Pentecost at its origin is a Christian holiday that always takes place seven Sundays after Easter. Um, without having time to get into it, the number seven has unimaginable un, un, un significance in the culture of Jews and Judaism. And so seven sevens is like massively like pay attention. And so very intentional Pentecost, seven Sunday or the 50th day after Easter. That's where we get the word Pentecost. Now, its origins are not in Acts. It's actually all the way back at right after um, the Israelites were freed out of slavery in Egypt. And so Pentecost started out as what you would be called in, the, in Judaism, in, in Leviticus, Numbers. It would either have been the, fe the Harvest Festival or the Feast of Weeks, or what we see now in Judaism is the word Shavat. Um, Shavat is just simply the 50th day after Passover. Somebody say Shavat. It's just a cool Jewish word. Yeah, Shabbat. So, um, and again, same idea. It's 50 days. It's seven sevens in a Sabbath after Passover. And so um, that's what Shabbat is. Again, festival of weeks, harvest festival that, that was celebrated. And so there's this intentional gap and anticipation from Passover to Shabbat or the Feast of Weeks or what we call Pentecost. I want to give you just a couple of scriptures just for reference, just so you know we're not making this up and putting whatever we want on the board. Deuteronomy 16, 9 and 10 just says, this is God instructing his people how to live right after they left Egypt. He says, count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle in the standing grain. Verse 10 says, then celebrate the festival of weeks of the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering and a proportion of the blessing to the Lord your God has given you. Again, in Leviticus 23, which is all about sacred festivals, we see, is where we see actually the number 50. It says, count off 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So again, there's more in Exodus, there's more in Numbers, but I just wanna show you this idea of seven, seven, seven weeks. They say seven sevens, we would say seven weeks. And so what you have to understand, again, just for the quiz, when you hear the word Shavat, Festival of Weeks, Harvest Festival, Pentecost, it's all the same. It's all synonymous. To the, to the Hebrews, to the Jews, um, even to us Christians, we can understand that these are all a catalyst that, that the Harvest Festival also started at Passover. Now, we can't even have a conversation about Pentecost until we at least have a basic understanding of Passover. Is that fair to say? I mean, you're about to get your master's degree in this stuff. Okay. So I just read stuff, but you're like a legit educated person. Okay. Uh, and so Passover. So to understand Pentecost, we have to understand the significance of Passover. And I would say to be a follower of Jesus, you actually have to understand the significance of Passover because the imagery is, is amazing. And, and again, I tell you this and remind you that the days of Jesus, the days of Paul, um, even to this day, when God spoke, 
the, the people of God, the Israelites, only spoke the language of the Old Testament. So everything had to have some sort of connection or understanding to something that already had happened in the Old Testament. So what's pass, So Passover is all about the fact that for 420 years, the Israelites, the people of God, when God made a promise to Abraham, I'm gonna make you a nation, they were enslaved by Egypt for 420 years. And after that, God called out Moses. We see the beginning, and we're gonna actually talk about this in our series in August. We see the beginning of the journey of God and his people as a nation in Exodus 3, 7, when Moses shows up at the burning bush and God says three really important things. I've heard the cries of my people. I'm really concerned for their suffering. And so I'm gonna rescue them. So the beginning of the story of God and any of his people are, I always hear cries and I'm always concerned for suffering. So much so, I have a plan. And so his plan was to send Moses back to his stepbrother, Pharaoh, and say, we're leaving. Pharaoh said, nah-uh, it happened like 10 times. It's a crazy story. You should read it in Exodus. But eventually it ends by God telling Moses, say to Pharaoh, that unfortunately I'm gonna take the firstborn of all the animals and the people. He says, now how I'm gonna spare you is you put the sacrifice of lamb, put the blood over the door, and, and every single person that does that, I'm gonna pass by them. That's exactly what happened. The Egyptians lost their firstborn. The Jews didn't. Pharaoh said, get out of here. And so they left. A million plus of them, all their livestock, they left. And so that is called Passover. Passover was the day that the spirit of death passed over God's people and enslaved the enemy. He passed over them because of a covenant that was made in blood. And so Passover is massively important. Why? Because what happened before Passover? 420 years of oppression, bondage, slavery. I couldn't get out of my own way. I did not have what it took. We did not have the ability to get ourselves out of this. And so God came and intervened and rescued. It's a collision course between the divine and the created. And so God rescued them and brought them into freedom. And so Passover, anytime you understand Passover, if you're like, well, what's the big, big deal about Passover? It's all about freedom. Passover is freedom. They had been living as slaves. Now they are free. In fact, we see in Deuteronomy 16, same, some area I was just showing you. He says, verse 12, remember, somebody say remember, that you were slaves in Egypt. He's saying, why are we going to do Passover? Because you were slaves. And so follow these, because I know you're going to have a propensity to forget. And if you don't pay attention to this, you're going to just stumble yourself right back into slavery. I know you people. If you don't do this, you're going to just find yourself back into slavery. And I made you to be free. So Passover is all about what? Somebody help me out. Freedom. Passover is freedom. So we celebrate Passover, which by the way, seven Jewish festivals, three of them are what we call pilgrimages. What's a pilgrimage? Wherever you were in the world, you went to Jerusalem for that event. Passover and Pentecost are two of the three. They're massive. So Passover, everybody goes to Jerusalem. You have this week festival. It's a remembrance. They're sacrificing. There's all kinds of stuff. And then 50 days after Passover is Pentecost. It's kind of, there's even an anticipation. Why? Seven sevens is significant. But that also recounts, because what happened was, after Passover, they went through the Red Sea. God wiped out the Egyptians. They, they traveled for about, you're never going to believe it, about 49 days in the uh, desert. And then God at this Mount Sinai or Horeb says, hey, why don't all of you come up and I'm going to teach you how to live free. You come up and I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to give you my way of living. I'm going to make you a covenant people. And so they were like, no, that's too scary. Can we just send Moses? And he's like, well, that's not my plan, but sure, we'll do it that way. Uh, prophets and priests were never God's idea. It was man's idea, by the way. Never. And you're going to see why, because we, we finally got to where we were supposed to be at the end of Pentecost. 
So Moses goes up and God, we, again, we believe seven times Moses went up and God gives them what we call the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. It is God's love letter to his children. It is a way of living. It is wisdom. It is impartment. It is empowerment. And what is it for? You've only ever known how to live as slaves. Now I got to teach you how to live as free people. So it's this covenant language full of love that our father has loved us so much that he gave us his words to teach us how to live as free people. That's Pentecost. That is Shavat. That's what it is. And so there's 50 days. There were 50 actual days. And so Pentecost now, go ahead and put that up. Pentecost now is seven Sundays after Easter, but Pentecost then, Pentecost became a thing about 500 years before Jesus, uh, was 50 days after Passover. And so why does all that matter? Because Passover is all about freedom and Pentecost is the power to live free. So Passover equals freedom. Pentecost is now that we're free, what, we don't make bricks anymore. We don't keep um, like just uh, like abusing our bodies with substance abuse and we don't just be takers in relationships and we don't just be selfish and, and we don't just do whatever feels right. No, that's how slavery people, that's what people in slave live. I'm gonna teach you how to live free. And so they anticipate it. So Passover, freedom, big deal. Pentecost, power to live free, big deal. One other detail and then I'm gonna flip it to him because I think my voice is done for the day. Well, I'll come back at the end. Uh, you also have to understand, to under, appreciate Pentecost, you have to understand the journey and how God met with his people. From the beginning of the story in Genesis, the idea was that God wanted to, to dwell with his creation. Divine wanted to dwell with creation. It was perfect in the garden. After, the, after they left the garden, he still followed them and went with them. When they traveled um, throughout the, the, the wilderness with, with Moses, it says that he would go ahead of them and lead them by a pillar of fire by night. And when it would stop, they would camp around it, build a tent called the tabernacle, and God's presence would literally reside in this tabernacle. It was fascinating. So anytime you see fire in the Old Testament, it's synonymous with the presence and power of God. What does the presence and power of God do? It fills us so we can be free and live as God's covenant people and walk in the freedom that he has us with. There's a story in Kings where a prophet has this kind of bout with a bunch of Baal prophets and it, God shows up and there's fire that comes from heaven uh, on this altar. So fire is synonymous with the presence of God. That, that would have been really, really significant. But all the way up until Jesus, the presence of God only, um, only fell a, a couple of ways. It was, in the temple and the, it was in the temple and the tabernacle. And so there was a specific place you had to go to experience the presence of God. And that was the tent was the tabernacle until Solomon built the temple. So that was the place. And then there were two specific representatives of God's presence. The priests were, their job was literally to mediate the divine. So you had priests who were, now you have a special place and you have a special person. And then you also had the prophets who were the mouthpiece of God. So in the Old Testament, to encounter God, you had to go to a special place and you needed special people. A priest would mediate the divine. A prophet would, would tell you what God was saying and it had to be in the temple. Special place, special person. Daniel was a type of one of these. He was a prophet. He told people what was God's job or what God's words were, what their job was. And so what's the main role of a prophet? Here's the three main functions of a prophet or a priest. And this will all tie together with, with what Max is about to tell us. So the main function of the priest or, priest or a prophet is one of three things to reveal God, to reveal God in his word and his ways. Number two, to convince you to trust God, to follow God, to convince you something deep inside of you that says, this is right, not the world's way of slavery. Um, the word convince is that same word that we use in the New Testament, convict. So a prophet or priest would, would reveal God, convince you of the right way or truth, and then remind you when you forget. Like, hey, come back. They would call you home. It's the word repent. Come back, come home, come back, come home. 
um, when we start living like the world and we start stumbling back into slavery. And so this is the journey of the Old Testament. You got the priest, you got the prophet, you got the fire of God. Passover is a big deal because it's freedom. And Pentecost is how we actually live as free people. Passover celebrated, that was when God came down, or Pentecost was when God came down on the mountain. The fire, okay, this was the original Pentecost. This is, you're gonna find this hard to believe. The fire of God came from heaven and dwelt among a person and empowered them to live as God's people. But that happened on Mount Sinai in Exodus, not in Acts chapter two. Here's the craziest part, because the, the, the hinge of all this is Jesus. We're not even gonna talk about that today, which we probably should, as he's a good subject. Jesus shows up as the embodiment of Passover, as the embodiment of Pentecost, as, as, as to show what the kingdom was like. Jesus lives this perfect life, and Jesus has this last supper. Uh, where were they when they had the last supper? Jerusalem. Why were they in Jerusalem? Passover. The whole Jewish world was there for Passover. So Jesus just happened to have the Last Supper and die on Passover. Out of all the 365 days, Jesus could have died. He died on Passover. If you're Jewish, that matters. Jesus rises again. That's a big deal for Christians. <laughs> he lives for 40 days, and then he super Mario clouds into heaven. He tells his disciples, you ain't ready yet. Go wait for me. And what we know from history, about 10 days later, they were waiting in their upper room. So Jesus just happened to die on Passover and his death is the new covenant. Communion is the new Passover. Lived for 40 days and 10 days later, Acts 2 happens. What are the chances that the Holy Spirit just happens to show up 50 days after Jesus died, just like Moses met with God 50 days after they were rescued from Egypt, 1,500 years later. Both of those things are true, and that's what leads us to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2, this is what we find. We find all the disciples are in the upper room, and they're waiting out of obedience to what Christ has told them, right? They're sitting in the upper room, and then it says a wind comes rushing through the, rushing through the room, and then what appeared to be tongues of fire rested on their head, and they began to speak in other tongues. And because everybody was in Jerusalem because of, the, because of Pentecost, everybody heard the gospel because what they were saying in other tongues was the gospel. They were preaching the gospel of Christ, and everybody heard the gospel in their own language in thousands of people came to Christ. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Which just happened to be 50 days 50 after days Jesus died. Right, after, after the new Passover. So it's an, it's, it's an amazing coincidence. But what, what's fantastic is, well, let me put it this way. For a lot of people, the Pentecostal experience is kind of reserved for a kind of a subset of, of people who believe in Jesus, right? It's those weird people who hang from chandeliers or carry snakes or speak in weird languages and make us all feel awkward and stuff. But that wasn't what, the, what Pentecost was for the first century believers. It wasn't what it was for the Christians who, who came out of that experience. Pentecost or, or the, the outpouring or the impartation of the Holy Spirit was an essential part of a believer's life. In fact, so much so that Paul talks about it later on in Acts. And I just I want... Feel like, I feel like you're about to preach. I'm, I'm going okay, to get We're going to kind of switch. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm, I just want to come over here because I want to I show uh, the importance that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has in a believer's life. So uh, let, let's bring up that Acts passage here real quick. So this is what happened. So Luke is giving an account of Paul going to Ephesus. He says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. Check this out. And he asked them... Did you receive 
the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul goes on and says, well, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and he told the people to believe in, and he told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That was Jesus, right? And so this is what this is what goes on. And hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, check this out, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, mirroring what happened in the upper room. Right, that's what we just talked about. That right, tongues of fire, spoken other languages, kind of the same, kind of the same experience, uh, because uh, God was ushering in the belief in in Jesus Christ to some other people outside of the disciples. It was an amazing moment. But here's the thing: there's a lot of things that we can unpack in here. But one of the things that I think is really important for us to understand throughout the entirety of the book of Acts, which is really a 50-year history of the, of the first believers in Jesus, was that there really isn't a consistent um, uh, pattern of how the Holy Spirit works. We have a couple of things that look r- remarkably similar, but really the, the Holy Spirit kind of imparts, God imparts his Holy Spirit, his presence and his power to people in different ways at different times and different things happen in those moments. But what is absolutely consistent, not only in this particular passage, but throughout the book of Acts, is that the Holy Spirit is a vital part of somebody coming to faith in Christ and the outflow of the Holy Spirit is a mark of any person who follows Jesus. So the Holy Spirit isn't some added thing. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential in a believer's life. And you got to remember that everything in the Old Testament is pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. All of time, everything hinges on him and what he did on the cross and rising from the dead. Everything goes. And so the, the, the Jews were waiting for this Messiah to come because that's what everything was kind of hinging on. And Jesus comes and they were waiting for that so that the new kingdom of God would be ushered in. And the old kingdom of the earth, which was dominated by hell and death, Death and pain and, 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 and evil and oppression would now be fixed and made right, and now God would rule, and it was all through the person of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that they knew that it was that it was that kingdom that was being ushered in was an outpouring of God's Spirit on his people. That's why Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, hearkens back to a prophet called Joel, and this is what he says in Acts. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. He goes on. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. No longer will my presence be relegated to a specific person or a specific place at a specific time. I will open my presence to every part of creation the way that it was meant to be, the way that it was in the garden. You see, what God is doing is consistently moving towards creation. God doesn't want us separate himself from us. He wants to draw us in. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. It was the ultimate uh, moment where God stepped into, into our reality and said, I want to fill you. Remember Pastor Corey said that there was a pillar of fire over the tabernacle. On the day of Pentecost, there was a pillar of fire or flames of fire over the new tabernacle. There was fire over the new tabernacle. 
There was fire over God's people who said, we are here, we are available to your presence, and he fills them, and flames of fire rested over the new temple of God so that everywhere that they would go and everything that they would say would be, an imp- would be a connection of the divine and his creation. Moments of Eden, moments of the temple. That's what was happening on the day of Pentecost. So why is it important? Why did he have to do that? Because Jesus himself says that it was more important that he goes so that he could send the Holy Spirit. This is what it says in John chapter 16. Check this out. But now I am going away. Jesus is saying that. The one who sent, I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking, where am I going? Instead, you're grieving because of what I've just told you. He goes on to say this. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate or the paraclete in the Greek, the advocate uh, is actually a pretty good word for it, but in the Greek, it's the counselor. It's the, it's the one that comes up alongside you when you're facing difficult moments. You have that friend in your life that comes up beside you and says, I'll help you. I'll walk this with you. I'm here. I got your back. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to send the one to come alongside you in those difficult moments to be your counselor, your advocate, to be the one that's going to show you the things that you're supposed to do and explain some things to you. And if I, if I do go, then I will send him to you. So Jesus himself says it was, it's more important that he goes away so that he could send the advocate. What does the advocate do for us? Why is that important? Well, I'm, we're going to talk about five things that the advocate does. And the first, things, the first three things are convictions. All right, we talked about what the role of the prophets were, right? They were to convince, right, to reveal, and to remind, right? Well, that's what conviction is. We're not condemning, we're just convicting. So what do we convict of? This is what he goes on to say. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. So that's the first thing that the Holy Spirit does, is it convicts the world of sin. It reminds us that there actually is sin and that we've missed the mark and that we need Jesus because we can't measure up. It's really that simple. That's what the Holy Spirit, the second one, he goes on to say, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness. Wonderful thing is he goes on to explain that, but we're just going to unpack it really quick. So the second thing is that he convicts the world of righteousness. How? Well, Jesus was the embodiment of the presence of God, the example of what it meant to be God's person, to be God's creation. What does it mean to be the one who follows and is obedient to God? That's what Jesus did. He not only died for your sins, he lived to give you an example of what does it mean to be somebody who lives in the character of God. Well, Jesus is gone now, so who's going to do that? You. You do that. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you to show you what it means to be like Jesus in a world that needs him. So we have convicts of sin, convicts of righteousness, and convicts of judgment. Well, how does he convict of judgment? Well, the Holy Spirit convicts us of, or convicts the world of judgment by reminding us that there is a judgment of the sin that we've committed. That we haven't measured up to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. What Jesus goes on to explain is that he convicts the world of judgment because he's basically placed that judgment under judgment. Because Jesus stepped into the role of paying the price for the sins that we've committed because we couldn't do that. 
And so through his sacrifice, when we believe in him, we have been forgiven. So the judgment that we should receive has been judged. And we are no longer condemned by it through Jesus Christ. That's amazing. So we've been reminded of the sin. We've been reminded that we're supposed to live like Jesus. And we're being reminded of the fact that we're no longer condemned. We're no longer, we have access to the very presence of God. And then there's two more things that he goes on to say. This is what he says. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Well, how does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, let's not forget what Jesus calls himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's go back to that passage real quick. Let's go back to that passage. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. What future are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that Jesus has conquered it. Jesus wins. At the end of all of this, if you're wondering, he wins. And because we're his disciple, at the end of all of this, we win. And so he leads us, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us to remind us of what Jesus has done, remind us how Jesus lived, reminds us how, of what he taught so that we know what it's like to live like free people. We've been freed, but we don't know how to live like free people because we've been in bondage. And so the Holy Spirit comes alongside and he teaches us how to live free. And the last one that the Holy Spirit does is this. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives me. So the last thing is that the Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus. And I can't think of another way to give more glory to Jesus than by ushering other people into his presence, by leading more people into a relationship with him. You see, the Holy Spirit's job isn't to give you power so that you can be known as a healer or a prophet or, or a good preacher or, or fill in the blank. The Holy Spirit's job in the life of a believer is to point people to Jesus through them. So anything that the Holy Spirit does in your life is not to give you a platform. It's not to make your name famous. It's not to make people think you're better than them. It's to point people to Jesus because he's the one that they need. You see, in order for us to live as free people, we have to be pointing everything in culture around who Jesus is. We have a, we have a culture that doesn't believe in truth. We have a culture that wants to create their own truth and describe their own identity. And the fact of the matter is that Jesus Christ is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. You cannot have an existence of any kind of meaning except through him. And the Holy Spirit has come alongside every believer in order to point people to Jesus. Jesus through you. The only way you're going to thrive in Babylon, in this culture that doesn't care about God, is if you embody the work of the Holy Spirit and point people to Jesus. And, and yes, does the Bible talk more? Does Paul talk more about gifts of the Spirit, and fruits of the Spirit, Corinthians and, and, and Acts? And yes, there is. But we're looking at the words of Jesus. What is the role of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost? It's to convince us that, that the things that we do wrong are, are devastating to us. It's to convince us that there is a right way to live and empower us. It's to convince us that, that there is a judgment, but Jesus has paid the price if we will surrender our life to him. And then it's to guide us to truth in a world that says whatever you feel is true. It's like, no, there's an actual truth. 
This is what the function of the Holy Spirit does. And what's great is there's so much bonus credit. There's, there's gifts he gives us and there's outpourings. And you'll see, we've both seen yes. every single thing yes. the Bible talks about. Prophecy, healing, you name it. We've seen it. We've experienced it. Uh, there's gifts that come with it. But the gifts were never the, the focus. The focus is what the role and the function of the Holy Spirit was. And so some of you might be thinking, well, how can I know? Like, do I have, because like Paul said, like, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? They're like, this is the first time hearing about it. He's like, well, who you been baptized in? I go, we know, we believe in Jesus. He's like, oh, then you need, you need the advocate. Well, how can I know if I've been, if I, if I've received? Well, first of all, you have to be aware of it to receive it. They didn't, they got it when they became aware of it. Now you're aware of it. Well, Paul, he was writing to one of the churches in Galatia. He says, if you kind of want to know like what keeping in step or a life with the spirit is, there's a pretty, pretty massive like contrast and I can kind of show you what somebody who doesn't have the spirit looks like. And here's what somebody who does have the spirit looks like. And in Galatians 5, he says it this way. I love this because he, like, he kind of wraps a perfect bow on this conversation about, uh, again, Passover is about freedom. But if all you've ever known is slavery, you haven't been empowered or been given the knowledge to live free. And so you have to have that. And so he says, uh, Galatians 5, go to verse uh, 13. Um, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be what? Free. See, it's always about freedom with God. It's always about freedom. He says, but don't use your freedom to do whatever you want, but rather serve one another humbly in love. And then he reminds him in verse 14, the entire law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, remember, you're, you are free, but don't let your freedom stumble you back into slavery by serving yourself and thinking you're the center of the universe and all of those things. And he goes, and in case you're wondering what stumbling into slavery looks like, let me help you out with it. Verse 19, he says, the acts of the flesh, slavery are obvious. He's gonna give a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Witchcraft, idolatry, bowing to whatever the culture says is the important thing now. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, gossip, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and anything else like it I forgot to mention. That's what he says. He's like, that's slavery. He came to set you free. He pulled you out of all of that because you thought that was going to make you happy and give you the life and the satisfaction and the pleasure and the family and the future you wanted, but it left you wanting and the hole just kept being bigger and bigger and you were still slaves. You used your freedom and you walked right back to Egypt. You're like, tell me how to build the bricks, culture. Which idol should I bow down to now? He goes, but what the Spirit wants to do, what he came to give you is freedom. And if you will allow me, I'm going to impart my wisdom. I'm going to give you my power to live this out. And here's what you're going to look at, because in verse 22, he says this, but the fruit, and here's what you need to know about the Greek word of that word. It's a, it's a, a singular word. It's not plural. There aren't nine fruits. There's nine things listed, but you either have all of them or you don't. You don't get to have some of this, but none of that. Again, this is your master's degree. We were just talking about this. But I learned it before you told me. I learned it before he told me. <laughs> it's fruit. He says, here's what freedom looks like. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness and the ability to control yourself even when you want to lose your dang mind. Self-control. Against those, you don't need any laws. 
There's no law necessary. That's what a life of freedom is. Oh, I want that. By the way, you know who wants that for you so bad? Everybody in your life. Everybody in your life wants you to be full of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because what will come out of you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I want to be around those people. So that's how you know if you're full of the Spirit. And that's how you know if you're not. And again, well, if I'm not, does God hate me? No, he came to convict the world of judgment, but then he judged judgment. He came to convict the world of righteousness, and he's calling you home. And so Paul, as he's writing, a lot of the, the, the stuff he's writing these people, like he's calling them as, 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 as a mouthpiece of God, going, come home, be, 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 be who God made you to be. And he says this on a couple of occasions. He regularly says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But probably the most important thing Paul ever says that's, that's I'm so glad I was taught this when I was six or seven or eight years old. He actually says, continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit continually. And so the best analogy I can give you that has got me about 35 years of existence is imagine that every day that your soul is a car and you fill it up at the beginning of the day with the go to the gas station called the Holy Spirit. And it starts by you cutting out some time and creating some space where it's just you cut out the world and you just have prayer time. You spend time with God. You say, I want your presence and I want your power. I want your presence and I want your power. I want your presence and I want your power. So his presence means it's just you and me. And your power is this day will be a train wreck without you. So I need you to fill me. Glug, 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 glug. And no matter how much he fills you, you will run out by the end of that day because you are a finite human. So you need to make a daily practice of starting. Like imagine that the gas station comes to your bed when you wake up before your feet even hit the ground and you just start and you create some space. You go, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me again today. I wanna be full of your presence. I wanna be full of your power. I need your wisdom to live free. I need your power to live free. I need your, I need everything you got so I can walk in my identity so that I can, when I know my identity, I can serve other people in love and then I can actually execute this thing called your kingdom. So I need you to fill me up because yesterday was a decent day, but I'm go- it's gone. He gone, you think you gone. Like I'm out, like I'm human again. So fill me. And I'm telling you, I don't know how to explain it other than he will give you this uncanny ability to do things you are not capable of doing. When you used to explode and get angry, you'll be like, yeah, not that big of a deal. What happened to her? She must've went to gas station, Holy Spirit, that new Holy Spirit gas station. When you normally be like, oh, patience, ah, it's like, ah, it's no big deal. We'll get there when we get there. What happened? Oh, the fruit of the spirit is patience. Oh, he's not losing his mind right now. He's not crying over spilled milk. Well, peace is a fruit of the spirit. Why do I feel like they're easier to be around? They enjoy us. Oh, love is a fruit of the spirit. You seem happier. Oh, joy is a fruit of the spirit. Hey, how come when everybody else is like, I just can't help myself and I just, I have to have 17 drinks and 400 hamburgers and I got to do everything I feel. You're like, nah, I'm good. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. How come when that guy was mean to you, you could be kind back? Oh, um, kindness is a fruit of the spirit. Uh, and don't look at me. You're all, because then they'll go, you're amazing. No, no, I suck. But I have the Holy Spirit and he came because Jesus sent him. And the only reason I am who I am is what's the role of the Holy Spirit? To glorify Jesus. And you could be this way too, but it's got to start with the first baptism of saying, I need Jesus. And if you get Jesus, you just ask him for the Holy Spirit and you get the whole thing. You only need Jesus once, but I'm probably going to tell you, you need the Holy Spirit every day. That's the whole New Testament theology, by the way. You don't got to get his master's degree. You don't need, you don't need Greek for that. 
That's it. Some of you, and I know how I'm wired, but some of you are like, Pastor, are you just wired for this? I'm like, you know, you don't understand. I got a 35-year track record every morning going, Holy Spirit, fill me up. That's what I have. And that makes me a way better version of myself. And everybody who knows me, including me, can feel it when I skip it. Fill me. There's some days I don't even get to noon. I'm like, I'm already done. Like, fill me again. Like, fill me again. Fill me again. Like, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And who knows what will happen? Will people get healed? Maybe. Will somebody prophesy? I don't know. Maybe. But I tell you what will happen. There's going to be a whole lot of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, control. And you're going to not want to sin as much and you're not going to be as judgmental and you're going to want to be righteous and you're going to point more people to Jesus. How do I know that? Because Jesus said in John 16, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And if you have the Holy Spirit, that's what he does. It's who he is. And you don't have to go to a place. And here's the best part. You don't got to wait till next Sunday and we don't have to have an altar call. Why? Because it ain't about a place or a person anymore. We're not prophets and priests. We're just disciples. The tongue of fire means wherever you are, there he is. You just say, God, I want you because the scripture you referenced was Corinthians. Which says, now you, your body, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. What? Holy Spirit likes to go golfing? Yep, when I go golfing. Holy Spirit loves him some Boca Grande Beach because that's where I go. You take the Holy Spirit if he's filling you up. And so we would say to you the same thing Paul said to the church that he loved so much. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Pentecost. Passover was freedom. Pentecost was the power and the, and the ability to live out that freedom so much that other people want the freedom that you have and you might just point them to Jesus and that's why we exist. So I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna invite everybody who might wanna pray with me to do this. Some of you, you've never experienced the first baptism which is saying, I'm gonna give Jesus my life. I want that fulfillment, that freedom, what he's talking about. Some of you maybe said that, but you've never experienced the Holy Spirit. Just when I pray, you just, and you're under your breath or whatever, say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Like, I'm about to go to a crazy world. I need you. He will make you the best version of yourself. And if not, you got a litmus test. And if you're like, well, I think I'm doing pretty good. You kind of know, you, how are we doing on the fruit? How are we doing on the acts of the sinful nature? So as I pray, I just want to invite you to pray this. I will say this. We're so, we try to be so intentional and passionate about introducing people to Jesus for the very first time. It's the most amazing decision you'll ever make. And if you're ready to make that decision, you're ready for that first baptism. If you say this prayer with me, would you please, before you leave, just text the word KPS to 94000. I want to send you a video and we just want to walk with you through this thing. But for the rest of us, let's make it a regular habit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you that from the garden to Egypt, to Sinai, to the prophets, to Jesus, to the New Testament. You never left anything out. It was always about us, that you, your, your intention from the beginning was to dwell not just among us, but be in us. And so God, I pray right now for anybody who has never given Jesus space in their life, that they've never given control of their life to Jesus, I pray, God, that you would, um, that you would, uh, that they would in this moment decide to give you their life, that they would make room for you and, and they would experience the radical transformation that comes from saying, I follow Jesus. And then God, for the rest of us, I pray that we would experience all that there is when it comes to being filled with your Holy Spirit. I pray we would experience your fruit. We would experience your gift. We would experience your power. We would experience your favor. We would experience all that you have in God, that we would be the type of people that don't wait to come to church on the weekend to hopefully get a dose of your presence, but that we would understand your presence and your power is available to us at all places at all time because it's no more special people and it's no more special places. We are the temple of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we invite you this Pentecost weekend to fill us with you so that we can be like you and point more people to you in Jesus' name.